Let's, uh, let's start reading in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's begin in verse 8. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that all scripture is given by you and is profitable for doctrine and correction and training in righteousness so that we may be equipped uh, for every good work. We thank you that we get the privilege of going through all scripture as a family, every verse. We thank you that we get to cover everything, Lord, because you inspired everything and you have a purpose for every single jot and tittle. Jesus, you said that your word will not pass away. That heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will never pass away. So we thank you that your word will outlive the heavens and the earth, and we thank you that it, it will accomplish every purpose it's sent to accomplish. We pray now as we study your word and we, we express our heart of worship to you by studying your word, that you would be blessed and your heart would be blessed by us wanting to sit at your feet and learn from you, but not just to hear and to learn information but to be doers of your word, to live these things and obey these things. Whatever you've called us to obey, we count it a privilege to do so. We thank you that you give us the grace and the power to obey your word, and we're so grateful for that. So we commit this time to you. We pray your spirit would be our teacher. We pray that you'd set this time aside for your holy use. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Continuing on through this wonderful book, I was very excited to get back into this book and just digging deep, and we want to refresh our memories just for a moment regarding where we're at, what's going on. Some of you are newer, uh, and you're visiting, and so I want to help you understand kind of the context and where, where, what we're in the middle of as we're going through this chapter uh, here in First Timothy. Timothy is between the age of 33 and 38 years of age. He's a young man. In that culture, was, he was esteemed young uh, at that age. I uh, wish that would come back. Uh, but uh, he's a young man. Paul has, uh, inst- is instructing him basically how to conduct himself in the household of God. We're told that in uh, our chapter, actually, this morning. But in verse 15, we're told the purpose of Paul's writing of this book. We, we want to remind ourselves where Timothy is. He is in Ephesus there. Paul has entrusted him to that area to oversee the church there, and, and God has called him to stay there. Timothy didn't want to stay there. In fact, Paul has to tell him in chapter 1 to remain there in Ephesus. And he doesn't want to stay there, most likely, because he has to do some difficult things. And leaders, as we've seen, as we've studied, leaders at times are required to do difficult things. Every Christian's uh, required to do difficult things. But that also includes leaders. And there's a specific time where a leader has to say and do things that are very difficult. So often people don't realize how difficult it is for leaders to say things that are hard for people to hear. But their calling and their love for God outweighs, and it's supposed to outweigh, their desire for people to like them. 
Paul would later write to the church of Galatia in chapter 1. He said, am I trying to please men? If I were trying to still please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So our calling as leaders is mutually exclusive to what the approval of man would dictate to us. And as Christians, the approval of man is a snare. And and the, the fear of man is a snare, as we're told in Proverbs. So we have to sometimes go against what people want to do the right thing, to do the appropriate thing. And so Timothy is a little timid. He, later, Paul's going to tell him, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And so Timothy, he's reluctant. He has to change some doctrinal things. He has to change some uh, kind of church government things that, that God has put in place or wanted to put in place. And so he's been told by Paul to remain there. Paul is telling Timothy to make very specific changes that could be completely diametrically opposed to what Timothy's preference was. It's good to remind ourselves that it, it's, it's, and I've said this before, and I want to really stress this because we need to know this very, very well, that God has not given leaders the option to make the church however they want to make it. They're not free to experiment on God's people. They're not, a, they're not free to just make the fellowship anything that they want it to be based on the latest book that they've read or the coolest YouTube video out there or the mail that comes to every pastor's mailbox regarding how to grow the church and how to make it relevant and how to all, all these things that, that they, have some, they have some good points at times, but most of the time they contradict God's word and they usurp the Spirit's ministry uh, in people's lives so often. So leaders are not free to make the church any way that they want to. There are general principles that are true for, are applicable to every church that's binding on every church. Most of this is what Paul is writing here. He's writing these things that are bound, that every church is bound uh, to. But there are very specific things that you, that's unique to every fellowship that is, is unique to them, and, and God has specific leading by the Spirit himself. So the general principles are in God's word. The specific leading for every fellowship, because every fellowship's different, people are different, different demographics, uh, different emphases, and so forth. So this, the, the leaders are still not free to just make decisions regarding the specific things that God wants to change or have happen in the fellowship. They have to listen to the Spirit. And it all goes back to the Lord Jesus saying that it's his church. It's a very comforting thing to me as a leader to, to read where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He will build it. He hasn't called me to build it. He hasn't called any leader to build it. He's called leaders to build it up in the sense of edifying and encouraging and serving and so forth, but not to build or add to the church. And we are not to try to provide things that God said he would provide. There's three areas that... Uh, Pastors don't have any direct control over, and if they try to, they harm the body. One is attendance, second is giving, and the third is serving. Those, no matter how faithful a leader is, no matter how hard he works, he cannot in his own power get those three things to happen. And if he tries to do that, beyond the teaching of God's word and so forth, he causes harm. Many of you have been harmed and hurt by leaders that have tried to make those three things happen, taking that responsibility in their own power in the church, and it causes harm. And we're not interested in doing that. Because, and I re- believe the Lord does that to keep pastors in a place of dependence. Because if, if a pastor could work really hard and have those three things happen, there would really be no place of faith for the pastor. But God wants to keep the pastor trusted and trusting and depending upon uh, the Lord. 
And so God has purposely set it up that way. So much of the mail that I get has to do with trying to get uh, you to do those three things and other things that the Spirit's responsible for. And so I'm at peace with those things, and I get to focus on what God has called me to do, which is feed and tend the flock, because he has grace for that. He doesn't have grace for all those other things for me. And so I'm very thankful that I've been inoculated against that. So Timothy has to make these changes. They're potentially against his preference. And God said, your calling is sufficient and my grace is sufficient to give you all, the, all that you need to be able to do these things that I've called you to do. Now, last time we saw Paul give instructions regarding the roles of both men and women in the church. He also covered, uh, you know, things re- regarding, you know, having true doctrine being taught there. And also we we began looking at leadership qualifications. And last time we saw uh, Paul articulate the qualifications of an elder, someone that oversees the spiritual needs in the church. This would fall under the people that are called to be apostles or prophets or evangelists or pastor teachers. Those offices that fall under uh, the leadership gifts there in Ephesians chapter 4. And you can read that on your own. And so there are qualifications for that. And what I mentioned is that those qualifications are any different except the one that is a gift, which is the gift of teaching, uh, than any other man that's been called to, to be a, a believer, uh, that's a believer. Those, those are character issues. God doesn't put a high premium on education. He doesn't put a high premium on, on charisma or speaking ability. And he doesn't make any of those things the requirement. We put the emphasis in the wrong place. And the things that he emphasizes, we're not usually emphasizing. So they're all character-based. And then today, though, he's going to really deal with something a little bit different here related to deacons. Now, deacons, when they deek, okay, you didn't know that that was a verb, but, uh, you know, I think it is. When when deacons deek, they take care of the physical needs of the church. The elders take care of the spiritual needs. The deacons take care of the physical needs. And one isn't more important than the other. As far as God's concerned, those things are equally important. When we, has, when we are raising our kids, they have physical needs, they have spiritual needs, we attend to both of them. Uh, and so we shouldn't see that the deacons, have just because they're physical things, doesn't mean that they're any less important. They are just as important as the spiritual needs. And, and so they too have an important calling. It's not any different. I mean, it's not any more, less important or more important. It's just a different uh, calling. Sometimes I hear, as a pastor, I hear people come and say, I, I'd like to do this. I want to oversee this ministry. I want to uh, uh, create this, this ministry opportunity or, or whatever it might be. But it's not very often that I hear people come and say, what are the needs? Where are the needs? What, where, where are people hurting? Where are people suffering? Or what physical things just need to be tidied up that are behind the scenes where no one's going to see me and I'm not, not going to get the credit for anything? That's the heart of a deacon. The heart of a deacon is to make things, first of all, comfortable for the people of God regarding when they come and assemble together. You know, people set the chairs up, people uh, clean the bathroom, some people, uh, you know, make coffee. There's all kinds of things that happen that are, that are not any less important. They make the overall time when we come together very much a blessing. And so, but there are things way beyond that. And actually, especially in the New Testament, these things were really uh, focusing on practical needs. In fact, the word deacon, uh, diakonos in the Greek, is, is really someone that waits on tables, I don't know if you've ever gone to um, 
forgot the, the name of the, the Outback. I think it was Outback, where back in the day, I don't know if they still do this, but you come in and sit down at your table, and the, and the server used to sit down at the table with you and go, hi, my name is so-and-so, I'm serving you today. And I'm like, who invited you to this party? You know, I mean, uh, how come you're sitting down with me? You know, and I, they're, maybe they're trying to build a rapport, I don't know, but I, I, I didn't care for that. But uh, the, these deacons are people that are, are wa- I like the fact that it means to wait on tables because it, it describes something that's very practical. There are very, very important practical needs in the body of Christ. And deacons are called to meet those needs. And so uh, that's, that's kind of their heart. And so they want to know who's in need, what are the, what, what, who's suffering right now, who's lacking uh, help. You know, who needs their car fixed that can't afford it? Who, who needs, a, a, you know, some, some food? Or, or who needs some extra clothing because their kids have outgrown their clothes and they can't afford new clothes? You know, what, these, are, these are important needs. Who needs to be visited in the hospital? You know, that, that's a spiritual need, but it's also a physical thing, too, because that has implications regarding after uh, they get out of the hospital, they're going to need some help. Who's going to bring meals to them and so forth? These things are very, very important. And one thing I want to highlight before we get in too far in these verses is that those things are very important to God. I can't emphasize that enough. Though meeting those needs are very, very important to God because Jesus does those, 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 does those things. He did those things. He would meet physical needs. How many miracles did he do dealing with physical needs? He wasn't just always teaching. There were physical needs. He multiplied loaves and fishes. You know, he... I mean, there's so many times where he took care of physical things, very much important to God. So if you have a heart to take care of physical needs, you have the heart of God. You have the heart of Jesus. And so we don't have to be a deacon to meet physical needs, of course. But that's what God is aiming at here with these leaders, is for, them to, for, them, for Timothy to see that these people have that heart to meet physical needs and want to serve. They don't care what it is. They just want to, to, to help in any way possible. Sometimes people will think of spiritual gifts and they'll think of it's just all spiritual edification and building up, but there's so many practical, physical things uh, in the gifts of the Spirit, those that are gifted to serve in those specific areas. One is the gift of helps. That's really skilled labor, that's something that I don't know anything about. Skilled labor. That means you have skills and you can do things, work with your hands. The leaders will tell you, I'm not very good at working with my hands. I don't even try. Uh, I just, I can't, I'm not gifted in that. And I've accepted my limitations and, and it just provides a good way for them uh, to have entertainment is to see me try to do those things. You know, it's like, let's just see him try. Let's just let him go and see how long it takes him to give up. You know, uh, that's just how it works. But then there's the gift of ministry. The gift of ministry is not skilled labor. The gift of ministry is just serving. It's just serving, serving, serving. I believe that every deacon has the gift of ministry, and some of them have the gift of helps as well. But it's great because God says you don't have to be skilled. You just have to be gifted in this gift And even if we don't have the gift of ministry, again, he's called all of us to serve. And then, of course, all of us can be hospitable, loving, and, and, you know, and be other-centered and so forth. Now, before we get into these kind of character requirements that we're going to get into here, I want us to look at the the function 
of a deacon. Before we get into the requirements of a deacon, I want us to turn, hold your place here. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Now, the context here is the early church is growing. God is using the word multiply to describe what's happening within the the, the church related to growth. He's adding to the church. We're told that in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that God added to the church those who are being saved. So he's adding. Uh, Satan's trying to subtract. (laughs) Uh, But God is using that persecution to multiply. And they're at this crossroads here where they have two groups of widows. They have the Jewish widows and you have the Hellenistic widows. Hellenistic widows are, are, are Jews that have a Greek background. They're, they're in the Greek culture. They speak Greek and so forth. They're widows. Both sets are widows. Both sets equally have needs. And the, the Hellenists come with a complaint saying that they weren't getting uh, treated fairly and they weren't getting as much help as the Jewish widows. And this is a very critical point here where the church could have had a split. That's what the enemy was working towards. He's trying to work towards bringing division, as he always is in a fellowship. And, and so the, the, the apostles needed the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. They needed direct revelation from God how to deal with this situation. And we see in verse 1 there in chapter 6 there in Acts, he says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, again, uh, the growth was multiplying, There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So here's the that's the problem. The problem has come before the apostles. Notice they don't dispute the the problem. They don't say, Oh, what are you talking about? That's your perception. They believe that these people were telling the truth, and there's no evidence to the contrary, and they want to meet this need, and, and so the Lord um, uh, directed them in this. He says, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So that's, that's their conclusion. Now, they're not insulting waiting tables. They're not saying it's beneath us. Sometimes people will say, oh, they thought they were better than, than you know, uh, too good to be doing these things. They were already doing these things. They were doing it in Jesus' public ministry. They were, this wasn't a big deal to them at all. But the scope of the ministry had grown. And when the scope of the ministry grows, changes need to happen because the leadership can't handle the needs that arise. You remember Moses with his uh, father-in-law Jethro, um, you remember Jethro from the Beverly Hillbillies? I think maybe he was named after him. I don't know. Uh, it was definitely more wiser than the Jethro in Beverly Hillbillies. But uh, he, he laid out this, this, this plan to help Moses because Moses couldn't handle everything. He was at the city gate. He was dealing with these things, these problems and issues. And, and, and Jethro said, it's not good. And, and he, he, basically his wisdom was to have other men, other people that you can trust to help make these decisions. That was very, very wise. Why did that have to happen? Because... The, the needs were greater than what Moses could handle in himself. He's finite. And the same thing happened here in Acts chapter 6. The needs, the church was multiplying. God makes it clear that we see in verse 1 that it's multiplying. That's the purpose. That's the reason. And so he has to deal with this problem. And so the, 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 they said, it's not desirable. We should leave the word of God and serve tables. So often their leaders 
because they can't delegate, because they can't pray and see who the Lord's raising up, they end up doing things they're not called to do because the scope of the ministry expands. And so they end up compromising and leaving the word of God. And God's called them to, to minister the word of God. And so they get distracted doing all these other things that God hasn't called them to because the needs, because they, they have a heart to meet the needs. They want the needs met. But that's where they have to look for help. And so that's what God's uh, leading them to do. So he says, we, we're not going to leave the word of God to serve tables. Again, that's what the meaning. Now, the, the specific word for deacon isn't here in this passage, but this is the prototype. This is, it doesn't matter what words used. The function is the same. These were people that God was setting up to, to function in this way. He says, verse 3, uh, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, again, more wisdom by the Holy Spirit. Because the people knew better than they did, because of the amount of people that there were, they couldn't know everybody. And, and also, all these people that, that the Holy Spirit's going to pick through these people are all Hellenistic Jews. Because who better to take care of the Hellenistic widows than the Hellenistic Jews themselves, those from a Hellenistic background. It eliminates the possibility for further complaints because, hey, these people are your people. I mean, they're from your background. They're from your, you know, uh, culture. And so uh, you need to check back with how they're doing, you know. And so that's, that's what God had led them to do. But, but notice the great standard of these people that were to take care of the physical needs. They were, they were supposed to be of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And, and, and that tells me that there's a high standard for taking care of these physical things. And that's what we see in our passage that we're going to be looking at. There's a high standard. And notice what God puts the emphasis on. He doesn't say men that are highly educated, men that have been through trade school, that are highly skilled. He doesn't say any of those things. He says that men are of good reputation. In other words, they have good character. But not just good character, they're spiritual men. They're full of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you see if someone's full of the Holy Spirit? How do you know that? You don't go through and look at someone and say, oh, they're a little bit low. Uh, we had we to do something to get that level up a little higher. They're not quite full. It's, you see it because of what comes out of their life. They're, remember, Jesus promised in chapter 1 of Acts that the Holy Spirit would come upon them to be witnesses to him. So people that are known to, to be bold in their faith, testifying to the reality of Jesus' resurrection, those people are full of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, those are the people that need to take care of these physical needs. It just shows us, again, how God doesn't weigh the physical things less than the spiritual things. Because if he did, he wouldn't care about the character. He'd just let anybody, you know, go and do these things. But he, but he does. He cares greatly about these things because it's an extension of him. He's... People are representing the Lord when they're taking care of God's people in any way. They're representing the Lord. So they say, seek out from among you seven men of these things that we may appoint. Now, this is often used as a way of, to promote congregational church government. But it cracks me up because look what it says there. It says that we may appoint. The leaders are appointing. They're bringing these people before him, but the leaders are appointing them over this business. But then look at in verse 4, they say what they're going to devote themselves to. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's what this people that are elders, that, are, that take care of the spiritual needs, that's their priority. Now, they can do the other things if the scope of the ministry is that which allows that. 
They're not above anything. (laughs) Any leader is not above doing anything. But the problem is there's times where the scope of the ministry grows beyond what uh, they can handle. And so that's when God raises up these types of of people there. But he says we're going to give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Notice the word of God is a ministry. There's a book by G. Campbell Morgan, the great Bible expositor, called The Ministry of the Word. It's a great book. But he, just in that title, shows that there's a ministry of God's word. Just God's word alone, uh, washing over our hearts and our minds and ministering to us, is a great, great ministry. And so they need to prepare for those, for those teachings. And they need to be in prayer for the people and related to their uh, teaching time as well. And notice in verse 5, it pleased everybody. It says, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. When something's of the Holy Spirit, it rings true with every believer. That's tuned in to God, at least. <laughs> it rings true. It pleased the whole multitude. And here they were saved from this disaster of the church split because now there, there, would, be, there would have been, you know, uh, Calvary Chapel Hellenists and Calvary Chapel Hebrews, you know, uh, there. Or, you know, I'm just kidding with the name, but the, there would have been a division probably there. And so God uh, uh, saved that from happening. It pleased everybody. And then they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Again, all Greek names, so they're all Hellenists, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, this is very important, they laid hands on them. This wasn't just praying in their presence as they're laying hands on them. I'm sure that happened too. I believe they sought the Lord even more. They brought these people before him, they sought, and they prayed again. And then when they were about to lay hands on them, they prayed uh, again over their lives and, and, and then kind of commissioned them in front of the people to serve in this way. So the function of the deacon is to serve physical needs. There's a high standard for uh, their lives, and they're, they're called to be accountable to that before the people. And uh, it blesses God's heart when people take care of those uh, things because the, the spiritual things are important, but also the physical things are very important. Every need that the body of Christ has, God's very concerned about. And he's raised specific people up to take care of those needs and gifted those people uniquely to take care of, of, of every need that the body of Christ has. Now turn back with me to 1 Timothy 3. Paul now gets to their qualifications. Again, we've seen some already in Acts 6. But now he's going to get to their, um, their qualification. And the standard is high. You know, sometimes people say, well... Maybe this person, this person needs help, you know, uh, and they're, they're in, you know, willful disobedience or whatever, or they, they just can't get it together. So let's, let's make them a deacon. You know, they can't be an elder, so let's make them. No, no, that's not the idea here. The standard is very high. And just like I said, with the elders and those qualifications, besides the gift of teaching for the elders, that standard is supposed to be for every man. It's not like there, there's a higher standard. And same for these deacons. There's not there's a higher standard for deacons and other people. All that Paul is wanting to do by the Spirit is to have Timothy verify that those people are what God's called every person to be. It's very clear that we see that. Because these qualifications can kind of be a cop-out to some people. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm not called to be like this. That's just for the leader. No, it's for every person to be as, like Christ. Because that's what he's describing here. He's to be like Christ. 
And so that's important for us to, to know. Now, he says in verse 8 there, he says, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. A double-tongued literally means to be swivel-tongued, where their tongue can go different directions at any time. Now, I want you to think about their, 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 what they'd be in the middle of. There's, as we look at these qualifications, I want you to think about that they're going to be engaged with people's needs, their physical needs. So there has to be some character there to be able to properly deal with these needs and not exploit them or not uh, hurt people as a result of information that they know. And so that's in part why God sets these character traits up, to not be uh, unreliable with their, with their tongue, he starts off with. Because it's very important for every Christian, but especially someone that's taking care of these physical needs, they have to be able to say the things that are appropriate and refrain from saying things that are inappropriate because they have information. They know people's needs. They know people's vulnerabilities. And God knows that they can't uh, let these details be out there for everyone to hear about it in an inappropriate way. There is an appropriate way to let people know about other people in need, but there's also an inappropriate way. He says, not given to much wine. Someone that isn't, uh, you know, abusing alcohol. They're not given to much wine. Why? Because they need to, just like every believer, needs to be sober-minded. Because at any moment, they could be called on to help the body of Christ, and and they need to be thinking clearly. And, of course, there's a million other reasons why they should be uh, sober-minded related to that. But he says that's something that you need to, to watch out for, Timothy. Also not greedy for money. Again, remember the context that they're serving in. They're dealing with physical things. They're helping people maybe with money. And they're helping people with these things. They can't be greedy because then, obviously, they could be seeing people as a means to an end. God doesn't want the people of God, when they come together or any time, to be seen as a means to an end. And you can't ever feel, when you're around other people in the Lord and, and, and among God's people, that you're being seen as a means to an end. That's why we're very careful with fundraisers around here and things that people bring up. We're very careful about when people bring up business opportunities and things within the body. This has to be a safe refuge, a place where I'm not going to be hit up all the time for this and that. Even things that have good causes. We're very careful related to that. And that that needs to be in place. He says, verse 9, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. And this is interesting because... The one, one of the main differences between the qualifications for an elder and the qualifications for a deacon is, is a gift, and that's the gift of teaching. And he, and he tells Timothy to be careful that the elders have that gift. He doesn't tell Timothy to provide that gift. He can't make, he can't make any of these things happen. He's just telling Timothy, watch the people that, are, that God has their kind of spotlight on who have these things already being developed in their lives. You can't make those things happen in their lives. But you can verify that they're there if God is producing those things. And so he, he says that they need to have this gift, this, the elders do. But in the, with the deacons, he doesn't mention that because they don't need it. They don't need the gift of teaching if they're taking care of the physical needs of God's people. But they are supposed to hold it. They are supposed to hold on to the knowledge of God's word and be... Uh, you know, grounded in those things. Even though they're not handling physical or spiritual things, they're handling uh, physical things, 
They need to have a handle on God's word because there'll be opportunities for ministry within the context of handling their physical needs. And they can't, if someone, you know, you're helping someone with something physical in their life and, and, or helping them um, deal with something that's a physical nature, they can say, hey, could you pray for me? Or could, you know, I need some help. With, and, and you can't just be saying, you know, well, let's, let's pray to God. And by the way, there's nine in the Trinity. Did you know that? You know, and, uh, you know, there's many ways to God. I mean, you, know, I mean you, can't, you can't have someone that's not grounded in the faith taking care of those things. So Paul says to, uh, to Timothy to verify that they are stewards of the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. I want to call your attention to the word mystery there in verse 9. I've gone over this many times, but it's worth repeating. The biblical definition of mystery in the New Testament is something that was concealed in the Old Testament, was hidden, and hidden from the world, of course. But in the New Testament, because of Christ, and specifically because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, things are revealed to us that were hidden in the past. So it's not the definition of mystery that we are used to, you know, if you like mysteries and you don't get to find out who done it until the end because it's a mystery. That's not the biblical definition. So he's saying this person needs to hold fast to that which has been revealed in the faith with a pure conscience. Now later we're going to see, he's going to say the mystery of godliness is revealed. God manifested in the flesh, you know, and he's going to go into this, this beautiful, uh, at the end of verse th- uh, chapter 3, this beautiful teaching on the nature of God and Christ's incarnation. And again, it uses that word mystery. And it's something that was hidden in the past, but was revealed in the New Testament. So the deacon needs to have a, a solid foundation in that which has been revealed to them by the Spirit through his word. And they need to be able to help people uh, with those things as well, even though they don't have the gift of teaching. But not only that, if you look at the end of verse 9, he says, with a pure conscience. That means that they're not just understanding these things, but they have a pure conscience because they're obeying these things. They're in the context of helping you physically. Maybe they're bringing you a meal, or they're helping you with your car, or they're they're setting things up for you in your house or something. You can't lift something. They're over... They're over your house, and, and they have a pure conscience while they're doing it. They know that their lives don't represent willful disobedience in the context of that. That affects their, their fruitfulness in doing that. Everything that's in our lives regarding our character has an impact, whether we see it or not, on that which God has us um, uh, being busy in in this world regarding ministry. And that's very important. So he says it needs to happen with a pure conscience. But he says in verse 10, let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Now the word tested is, was used to describe someone that would purify metals. You know, when you heat it, heat it up and the dross, so to speak, would come to the surface and they would purify something. And that needs to happen in the lives of, of, of deacons and, and elders too, because you have to verify. You can't see these character traits right away, can you? You can see gifting right away. You can have someone get up and have them teach. If, you're, if, if someone's being considered as, as, a, as an elder, and you go, wow, that person is gifted at teaching. The Spirit said amen to all those things uh, as they taught. But you can't see character. Character takes time. And character isn't really character unless it's tested, right? <laughs> what, what does character matter if it's never tested? That's when you see character. God reveals who we are when we go through difficult times. So other leaders that are considering other people for this type of role, they need to be, their, their lives need to be seen, tested over 
time. And then he says, let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Notice he doesn't say at the end of the verse 10, being found perfect. I'm so glad he doesn't say that, (laughs) being found perfect. Blameless, to where anyone from the outside looks at their, their life and their walk, generally speaking, and says, I just don't see any major issues in their life. They're not perfect, we know that, but I just don't see any issues. And then also what I notice he doesn't say is being found gifted or being found educated or being found all these other things that we put a high premium on in our culture that God doesn't. It's character. And he says, be found blameless. That takes time. It takes a long time to see. But when you see it, it's a beautiful thing. Verse 11. Likewise, their wives, being reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Now, you do need to know that verse 11 is very controversial among Bible teachers and those that study these things and so forth because verse 11 uh, can be taken another way. It isn't 100% known by anybody, including myself, if verse 11 is speaking about the wives of the deacons or he's speaking about other women that's commonly known as deaconesses. And I'll give you why people suspect that they're not that he's not talking about their wives. The first reason is that the word wives in verse 11 can just as easily be translated women. Secondly, the word there before the word wives there in verse 11 isn't there in the original language. It's in italics, potentially, in your Bible. And so literally you could read it, likewise women must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Another reason why people think it could mean people that aren't the deacon's wives, is because Paul gives requirements for the deacon's wives here, but not for the elder's wives. Why would he do that? Is it any less important to God? If he's going to put this emphasis on the wives, why wouldn't he do it for both offices or both sets of people? But he doesn't. And then also the word likewise at the beginning of verse 11 is at the beginning of verse 8 as well when he makes the transition from elders to deacons. I don't know if you saw that in verse 8. We're now, when he, when the beginning of our text here, when we began, he said, likewise, he's changing subjects from speaking about the requirements for elders to now speaking about the requirements for deacons. But he says, likewise, as well, there at the beginning of verse 11, as if he's making a whole other category. So that's one reason why, uh, another reason why people uh, say that. And in addition, Romans chapter 16, verse 1, there's a woman named Phoebe, and it's not a man. <laughs> there's no Phoebe male name anywhere. It's a woman, and it uses the same word for deacon in the original language. It's usually translated servant there, calling her, Paul's calling her a servant, but it's the word for deacon, it's diakonos there. There wasn't a female version of the word diakonos till way after biblical times. There eventually was a female version of that Greek word, but it, didn't, it wasn't going on at this time. And so the, the, the couple things that would make people think that this is still talking about wives, though, is that... Uh, he's going to continue talking about deacons there, um, you know, in, in verse 12 and 13. So why would he change subjects and go to deaconesses and then go back to deacons uh, in, in, in verses 12 and 13 if he wasn't speaking about their wives? And then lastly, most people point to Acts 6 as uh, an evidence that these are, you know, it's always men that are deacons because he appoints seven men full of re- good reputation. And so uh, what is it? No, it's up for debate. I personally lean towards that he's not speaking about the, 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 the uh, deacon's wives, my, myself. 
but that doesn't mean that, I mean, it could be, it could be, because there's equal, uh, there's equal weight on each position there. And, and I wanted you to know of the controversy uh, that's there. The, but the, the most important thing that's true, no matter what position it is, is that uh, he's speaking to, to women that are supposed to be serving and, and taking care of these physical needs. And if there is a such thing as a deaconess, I know that she's not overseeing men, because Paul's already covered that in chapter 2. She's not overseeing men. So it would be a group of women that are not overseeing men that are taking care of the physical needs. But that makes sense to me, because all through chapter 16 of Romans, he meant, Paul mentions all these women that had an integral part of his ministry, and Phoebe was one of them. And the Church of Rome, who you know, she carried the book of Romans from, from uh uh, Centura, I think that's the name of the city that's right next to Corinth, to Rome. And he says, receive her. And, and, and he uses the word for deacon there. And then, but he lists many other women in that chapter that, that had an integral part of the ministry that served and served and served and served. So there's, there's examples of what this would kind of look like if there were deaconesses there. And so I don't believe they would over, be over, uh, you know, uh, overseeing men but I do believe that they uh, are a beautiful example of whoever they are to, uh, you know, expressing God's heart in, in the church of serving physical needs. Now, he gives the qualifications there of them, these women. First of all, he says, not slanderers. And that's literally not devils. <laughs> that's funny to me. They, that's the qualification. Whoever they are, they can't be devils. It uses the word that we get our word devil from there devil-tongued or whatever. Uh, they're not little devils. I mean, that's a good thing to have, whoever these women are, not, not to be devils. Um, and, and the idea is, is, is talking about slander. And Jesus, you know, uh, or the word has said that, um, that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's a slanderer. That's why this word is used. And again, these women are going to be exposed, just like the men, they're going to be exposed to physical needs and people's weaknesses and their frailty. And the body of Christ can't wonder if one of these women or men come in their presence and, and see their vulnerability that they're not going to go and tell everyone in the church about it. So that's very important. There's a purpose for it. Not just, I mean, just for all of us, we're not supposed to be slanders, of course. But there's a practical, a very applicable uh, uh, you know, application here for these women. They're called to be temperate. That means temperate. being temperate is someone that doesn't go to extremes. You know, they're not... Uh, going a million miles an hour this way to the neglect of these other things, and then they're over here doing this a million miles an hour to the neglect of these other things. They're even-tempered, they're even tempered and they, they, they're, they're uh, full of sobriety about these things. Because they're taking care of these things, they have to be uh, dependable. And that's why he says they're faithful in all things. That means dependable, someone that can be dependent on. God knows that if someone isn't dependable, what good are they going to be helping people's physical needs? Some of these needs are very acute in nature, and they need to be dealt with by someone that people can count on. And, and that's what God's called them to be, is faithful and dependable, that people can count on their character. Now, in verse 12, he says, let, the deacon, let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. So he goes back to the men here, and, and he's not talking about men being dictators and we went over this when we went over the roles of of husbands and wives in in Ephesians chapter 5 but he says these deacons have to have their house in order how can they take care of the physical needs of the church 
if they don't have their own house in order. And he's, he's referring to the elders the same way. How can they take care of the church of God if they can't take care of their families? And so this is important for us to see. We don't even have to talk and interview the deacons. Let's just talk to the wives. <laughs> What's the story? Talk to the kids. How is your dad? Is he godly? Does he spend time with you? Is he a leader in the home? Is he afraid to make decisions? Is he a disciplinarian? Is he flaky? Is he all these things to find out what the real situation is because if you can't take care of your own family, you're not going to be uh, taking care of the household of faith very well, and God knows it. And notice the reward of the deacon, whether male or female. He says, for those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So he says, they have, if they've served well, again, it's serving. That's what it is. It's serving. And he says, if they've served well, they obtain for themselves a good standing. He's talking about a good standing within the congregation. You already have a good standing before God positionally. He's talking about a good standing before everybody else. And that, that's not a carnal thing to have a good reputation. That's a good thing. We should want to have a good reputation. Of course, we're pointing to the Lord that he's responsible for all of it. But we're wanted, we want to be known because it brings glory to God when we have a good reputation. So he says, here's, here's the reward for you. People will know that you're a servant, that you've been dependable, that you've taken care of physical needs, and that you've been uh, someone that people can count on. And, and that reputation will follow you, and it'll be a blessing to you. So he's saying that's the, one of the re- rewards of being uh, a, a person that serves in this way. And you'll have great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. When we have great character and when we serve, it doesn't matter if you're a deacon or not, if when you serve God's people and you're loving and you're other-centered and you're taking care of needs and all of that, you have a credibility, just like we talked about, a good standing. And that opens up for you and me an opportunity for greater influence for good in people's lives. You have a greater boldness to say the things in the word that are true that other people need to hear. And you have more of an open door to share those things because of your character and what you've done within the context of the body serving needs. People will listen to what you have to say, especially about taking care of the needs of others if they've seen you take care of the needs of others. But not only on that subject, on many subjects. We have incredible uh, uh, validity to what we say. And, and, and we have great, uh, a great track record with people as we're faithful serving them. And, and we have great boldness in what we say to them because of how God has used us. God's called every one of us to serve and to serve well. But he hasn't called us all to be deacons or deaconesses or whatever. He's called all of us to serve. But those that are called to serve in that way, they are called to do it with their whole heart They're called to do it for the glory of God, and they're called to do it in a way that Jesus um, is blessed because he loves it. He loves it when his people are served well. He notices it every single time. He loves it. It's valuable to him. God notices every little sacrifice. And as we love, because the definition of agape love is doing what's best for another person, even at our own expense, as we do that, then Jesus sees that and he will give us a reward openly and freely on that day when we stand before him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for who you raise up in the body. Help us to appreciate those that you've raised up to serve our needs. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that has a heart to serve your people in a greater way, possibly even becoming a person in this role, 
We pray that you would lead them and guide them, and they would know how that's, what, the, what that's supposed to look like regarding their preparation. Cultivate in all of us, Lord, godly character. Make us all like yourself, Lord, so that we can be fruitful for you and bring glory to you. We thank you, Jesus, that you do all things well, and you, and you do all things well also in all, all of our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.